Turn to Psalm chapter 10. Psalm 10. We come to Psalm 10 the same week that there has been a major school shooting. And Psalm 10 is where the, excuse me, where the psalmist mourns over what the wicked man has done. The psalmist mourns that the wicked man has killed the innocent, that he has no fear of the Lord. You saw the news, I'm sure. You saw pictures probably in the paper of crying parents. You read of the terror of the students. And the wicked do cause great, great destruction. The wicked cause great sorrow and pain. Two nights ago, as I went to bed, I lay there listening to a helicopter circling, and I got concerned, <clears throat> and I wondered, I wondered whether something serious, something bad had happened. And I got to thinking about it, and I wondered what it was like to live in that fear all the time. Those who live in battle zones, and any time that there's the sound of an aircraft, it's, it's cause for your adrenaline to go up, your heart rate to go up, for you to begin wondering what's about to happen. Not something that I have lived through. I've lived through short, brief periods of fear of what's going on. But there are those who live constantly wondering whether something bad is about to happen, whether they're going to lose their home, whether they're going to, uh, whether there's going to be another bombing, whether, whether there's going to be another shooting. And you don't have to live halfway around the world to have that sort of constant fear. There are certain neighborhoods that if you live in them, you, you have that regularly. Right? In the morning, I found out that the helicopter was hovering because of an armed robbery. So something bad had happened nearby. And then I found out also in the news that that same day, a man had kidnapped an old woman. I think she said she was 84 years old. You guys probably saw this on the news as well. Forced her to drive him around in her car as he stole her money, sending her into stores and banks to take out her money, and then driving him him various places, driving him to buy drugs, which he then proceeded to use in her car. And thankfully, he then let her go. He did not hurt her. But you know that many stories like that don't end with a happy ending. Wicked men pursue wickedness. They do wicked things. They hurt and harm people 
on purpose. You understand? It, they do this intentionally. Murder generally is not an accident. That's why we call it murder. We've got some words for accidentally killing people, but that's not murder. And so if you just look at the news, you know that there's a lot of talk about how you know every time you turn the news on, there's something terrible in the world happening. You could always find some disaster, some bombing, some, uh, some major sad thing to get wrapped up in. And it's not uncommon for people today to ask, what is the world coming to? Right? Maybe some of you have asked that. What is the world coming to? Well, as we read Psalm 10, it makes a few things clear. First, nothing we face today in our world that our world is coming to is new. Whatever the world is coming to, it was coming to it when the Psalms were being written. It's been coming to it for a long time. Second, sin is real, and really wicked. And third, our hope is only in God and can only be in God as we look at this world, as we look at the sin, as we look at the pain and sorrow and misery of sin and of wicked men and what they do. There are many temptations that we face to look to other things, to look to other solutions, to put our hope for the future, for this world, even if not for ourselves, in something besides turning to the Lord. All of these things come from Psalm 10. All of them are very old. And so, looking at the news of the last week, we're helped by going way back and reading from God's Word. So please stand as I read Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride... The wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved throughout all generations. I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks 
in a hiding place, as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. You have seen it. For you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Wickedness is real. Christians have been led astray by the same idea that many non-Christians believe, which is that wickedness is not real. That people are not evil. And I would say that Christians often are particularly bad in this area in thinking uh, somehow that it's righteous to deny that people are bad or to deny that people mean harm. If you, I, if you think of the justifications that can be given um, you could say that they that love always love always hopes, right? They love thinks the best, and and so I'm just being loving in assuming that they didn't really mean that they're just misunderstood that they that that there's some that there's some extenuating circumstance that really it's not their desire to harm. Last night, as I was finishing this sermon, I read about a couple that had their teenage girl taken from them by the courts because they refused to give her hormone treatment to make her look more like a him. And, and because they refused to call her what she wanted to be called. So here you have a young girl who 
wants to be a young man. And her parents are not willing to give in to her uh, desires, except that you can't even give in to those desires because to give in would be to assume that she can have what she wants, right? That happened here in Hamilton County. Well, we're not quite in Hamilton County right here. We're in Claremont. But <clears throat> And the medical experts that testified that she needed this treatment work at Children's Hospital. Let that sink in for a minute. Cincinnati Children's is responsible for taking a child away from her parents who object to her living in sin, living in a fantasy world that's not good for her physically or psychologically who object because of religion. Surely this is a new problem, right? No. I mean, in some ways, yes. At the time of the psalmist, there was no hormone treatment that you could give to people to mess up their bodies. That's new. But the psalmist saw wicked people. And he saw them being allowed by God to pursue the afflicted. And that's why he cries out to God, how long, how long is this going to go on? How long are you going to let it continue? The wicked, they gave no thought to God. They gave no thought to his commands to his judgments. There are wicked men serving as judges, serving on our city council, serving in our best hospital, and they are being allowed to destroy this family. They're being allowed by God. Now, we have, to, we have to come to terms with that, right, as Christians. There's two ways of dealing with that. One is to run away from the fact that it's wicked and deny that it's really that bad, deny that there's anything really that wicked. Because if you can just lower the wickedness level, then there's less of a, there's less of a dissonance in our minds between God letting this happen, you know, this must just not be that bad. That's basically the progressive idea, that just simple, if, if it happens, basically it must be good. It's advancement. It's good. That's the definition of morality. But that's not what God says in his word. That's not what has been revealed to us. That's not even what he has written in our hearts, in our consciences. 
Other people face the what has often been called the problem of evil, right? And look to God and begin to blame him. If he allows this, then he must be a wicked God. And the psalmists, they're not they're not unfamiliar with that temptation, with that inclination on our parts, right? Not in this psalm, but others. Uh, the psalmist will say something along the lines of, you know, if I had said this. If, he'll, 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 give, he'll give this temptation words. He'll give the thoughts that we're tempted by words, and then he'll say, but that's not true. But in this case, he doesn't say that's not true. He just asks God, why do you stand afar off? Why do you allow this to continue? He does not downplay the wickedness. He does not deny that God is sovereign that God is in control, that God is able to form our hearts and mold them and channel them. As a matter of fact, he emphasizes the wickedness of the sin. And he emphasizes the fact that God is able to save and he goes one step further and says that God will. And that's that's the most important step to take, right? That's the most beautiful part of this psalm. When you read that the Lord is king forever and ever, it gives such strength, it gives such hope as you face wickedness. The more wicked sin is, the more encouraging it is that God is all-powerful. The more powerful your enemies are, the more strengthening it is to you to remember that God is king forever and ever. Sin is truly wicked. There's many ways that we as Christians, I said, you know, often Christians are the worst at undercutting the, the serious nature of sin, at denying the wickedness of it. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the ways that we do this, though, is to make people who are the, the real sinners into monsters, 
we'll do this uh, with, with the Nazis, right? You know, the Nazis must have been really subhuman to be that wicked. And I think that there's, there's a real... Uh, there's a real good sort of center. There's a, there's a real good core to that because it's at that point that you finally begin to acknowledge how wicked sin really is in some cases, right? When you make it so, you, you just when there's no escaping how evil it is, what's been done. When you're talking about gas chambers, it's just like, whoa, that's ag- there's no there's no way around it. That's just wicked. It's, it's awful. It's, it's beyond thought how wicked that wickedness is. But then we take that and we think, therefore, they must not have been human. They had to have been a monster of some sort. They couldn't have looked like you and I. They couldn't have been respectable people. They must have just been atrocious, terrible, ugly beasts. Have you, if, you, if you think of the, uh, the mental picture that you have in your mind when I say Nazi, you may think of, the, uh, of a picture of Hitler, for example, right? <clears throat> but I think if, if you think of the emotional picture that you have when I say Nazi, it's monster. Does that make sense? Or at least if you've given any thought to this. And so this is what we, this is what, one of the ways that we avoid the reality of wickedness, we begin to remove the, the, the person who is wicked from our realm. We make them into something other than us. Because it's, it's so hard for us to conceive that a person, a man like you and me, could do something that atrocious. And we don't want to see in ourselves that we have that kind of desire, that we have that kind of sin in us, that when Jesus said that the man who hates his brother has murdered him already in his heart, that that makes us into those kinds of monsters, bar the step, right? except we, we simply haven't quite gone there. But sin is truly wicked, and sinful desires in our hearts are truly evil. And so, when you think of the wicked, when you read about the wicked in Psalm 10, <clears throat> um, and you read about them hiding to try to get the person, it's it's very easy for us to turn it into this totally weird, bizarre scenario where it's like, um, you know, every once in a while there's this wicked person that pops up and does something truly wicked in our nation. And it's a school shooting, or it's a, you know, it's a horrific murder, or you, or it's the, the parents that have their kids chained and, you know, and it's like, all of a sudden there's this like, we get smacked in the face with the reality of wickedness and immediately we turn it into, well, did you see what they looked like? Did you see their pictures? You could tell the, you know. And then, and then you get 
every once in a while, the good-looking, wicked, acceptable evil crime, right? And every once in a while, you realize this still happens. There really are wicked people, and it's not just these subhuman monsters that are out there that occasionally do this. It really is in the heart of man. It's not that only those who have no self-control are wicked. As a matter of fact, if you read this psalm, what you see is that this wicked man has a lot of self-control. If, if you don't have any self-control, you can't hide. If you've ever tried to play hide-and-seek with a two-year-old, you know this. There's no, there's no hiding with a two-year-old, right? Because they have no self-control. Well, partly they don't understand the concept, but, you know... Even when they begin to understand the concept, kids go through this phase where they're like, they're so excited that they can't help but just come out of their hiding place. They don't have the self-control necessary to even stay hidden. Here is a man who has the self-control to give himself carefully the, the forethought to plan a trap to try to seek to catch the unfortunate, to continue harming the afflicted. And so, yesterday I was preaching in the jail, and generally the jail is filled with the people that we think of as wicked. They've given themselves over without any self-control to various things, primarily drugs at this point, and often uh, theft to try to get themselves their drugs, right? And so that's where the wicked are. The wicked are in jail. But what the psalmist is complaining about is that they're not in jail. The psalmist is complaining that they're out and about doing their thing and that nobody is stopping them. The psalmist is complaining that this is ongoing. The psalmist is concerned that God is not stopping them. You've heard that criminals are dumb, and you've seen videos of the guy trying to rob the liquor store and falling through the roof and trying to break out. And have you guys seen these kinds of like dumb video, dumb, dumb criminal videos, or read the stories of dumb criminals? Dumb criminals get caught. Dumb criminals get stopped. But not all criminals are dumb. Not all wicked people are lacking self-control. They're not poor. 
dumb, and uneducated. Also this last week, I read about a high-profile spokesman and leader in international relief, working for Oxfam, one of the very large uh, disaster and emergency relief international aid organizations, half a billion dollar budget annually, funded by everybody, governments, right? And this man has been accused of allowing and even participating in the prostituting of survivors of the tragedies that they were in the countries to alleviate. In Chad, in Haiti, in Darfur, in Congo, in Liberia, in Bangladesh. And if you know the history of those countries, you know when he was there. You know what he was there to do, what, what disaster they were facing. He was lurking to catch the afflicted. Do you understand? They were afflicted. They were undergoing severe tragedies. Haiti may be the one that you guys remember the most, the earthquake followed by just absolute, utter disaster on every level. Disease from lack of clean water, it just, it just kept spiraling into worse and worse situations, <clears throat> worse and worse problems. By the time that happened, he was known. He was known around the world by aid workers for what he did. He'd been investigated several times, relieved of responsibility and positions. And boy, was he respected. Wicked men are not monsters. They're not subhuman beasts. Some of the most wicked look the cleanest, look the best, have the best cover story. Have put themselves into positions of greatest opportunity. And by the way, it appears that this one man is not just one man. In just one of those examples, there were at least six other people that were participating in his schemes.
So again, it's easy to it's easy to go out there to to think, what a terrible man. How could he be doing that? How could those men be doing that? But what about Cincinnati? What about this family that I was telling you about? Who is the victim? Well, it turns out that the parents are victims, and the child is a victim. The parents are afflicted, the child is unfortunate. To use the words that Scripture uses. Both are the victims of wicked men. Victims of their lies and deceit and oppression and wickedness. Motivation of these people is not the protection of this child or any other child. Now, I'm going to belabor this point because I want you to realize that it's only when we will we will look at wickedness and say, this is wicked. It's only when we will look at the way, like the psalmist does, look at the deeds of the wicked and say, this is wicked. This is oppressing. This is destroying the afflicted. This is atrocious. It's only when we're willing to say that that we're able to turn to God for help. And so here, it's, it's obvious to see with this man, presuming what's been said of, of, about this man in Haiti is true, right? It's obvious that he's not there to help people. That's his ostensible reason for being there. That's why everybody in the world thought that he was there, but that's not why he was there, was it? And so here we are in Cincinnati, and we've got people saying that the goal, that the whole purpose behind what's being done is to save the children from suicide. Okay? The whole purpose of him being down in Haiti was aid, right? And here you've got, in, in Cincinnati, you've got laws and you've got hospitals and you've got all of the most respectable people in the city saying that this is about protecting the children from harm. But this is not about protecting children from harm. This is about using children for the sake of their own political gain, using children to justify themselves in their sin. It's about using and abusing, not about helping. Seelbach did not introduce the law against counseling, biblical counseling, for this child, okay? Seelbach did not introduce this law so that children would be safe. That's not why he did it. 
He got that law passed because he is a homosexual and he is doing everything he can to prevent God's words of judgment against him from being spoken in his city. Do you understand? It does not take a rocket scientist to figure this out. It's obvious to anyone who is willing to look at sin and say, this is wicked. This is destroying the innocent. This is, this is obliterating lives. When I say children around the world are used by wicked men for the sake of their evil schemes, that includes Cincinnati. You understand? It includes our own desires. It includes the, the evil schemes that, that we can think of that we could pursue ourselves. And so are we shocked by what they are doing? Are we shocked only by the guy working for international aid, Oxfam in Haiti and other places? Are, are, we, are we shocked and horrified only by the Nazis? Are, are we shocked and horrified only by the people who are dumb and illiterate and and who are into drugs. You see pictures of parents passed out drug on drugs with the child in the, in the car seat, and you're horrified, right? You ought to be horrified by that. It, it is horrible. But they are not the ones that are lying in wait to destroy the lives of the innocent. You understand? Most of the time, they're not the ones accomplishing that wickedness. The people that we should be shocked by and horrified by are doctors at Cincinnati Children's. They are judges in Hamilton County. They are on the city council. They are respectable businessmen. They have lots of money. They have lots of influence. They have plenty of power. And that's who this psalm is written against. And just because they say that everything that they're doing is to protect the children does not mean that you have to roll over and be like, well, I guess, you know, they mean well. The psalmist saw through their schemes and said, no. God save them. God save their victims. God save your people. Save the afflicted. Save the unfortunate. Save the orphan and the widow from a wicked man, from his wicked schemes.
Sometimes this means that you have to deny the wisdom of the whole world. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like, like everybody, the, the, all of the PR campaign, all of the, all of the propaganda that's been put out there says that what's good for children is this, right? As a matter of fact, this happens not just in children, in, in, in the area of uh, kids with regard to sexual confusion, okay? It, has to, it, it, happens, it happens all over the place. Here is what's good for women. Here is what's good for children. Here is what's good for black people. You guys, can you fill in the... Can you fill in the propaganda that you've been fed? They'll tell you. They tell you all the time. Here's what's good for. You fill in the category, then you fill in the content. And the whole world, all of the world's wisdom is foolishness before God. Let God be true, though every man is a liar. Our judgments are not our judgments. If you are a Christian, the judgment that you have is the judgment from God. It's His judgment. He's the one who made us. He's the one who created us to be men, to be women. He's the one who created us to worship him. He's the one who says what's good for us because he knows. Believe his judgments. And call call every scheme that seeks to convince the world to convince you that actually what you need is the opposite of what God says, the lie from hell that it is. That's how Satan started. He convinced Eve that what? Actually, what you need is to eat. Actually, no, that's not what you need. Actually, he's lying in wait. Actually, he's wicked. Actually, he is seeking to harm you. And God is good. And that's where you end up. You, you, end, up, you, you end up seeing evil for what it really is. And you're pushed immediately to God because the only way that you can accurately evaluate whether this is evil or good, what's being done is through God's judgments. And then you're left going, God is judge. He is king. And immediately you you begin to ask the questions, well, what can we do? And, And then, heaven forbid, you're in agreement with the world about what some some wicked thing, right? Because then they fill in the... Well, here's what you need to do to fix it. 
And you're, you're left once again facing the, the same temptation to believe what the world says will, will solve the problem or believe God's word. What can we do? What can the oppressed do? Now, hear me carefully. I am not saying there is nothing that we can do. What I am saying is nothing that we do will be of any benefit unless we first turn to God. He is the only one who will be able to put an end to the wicked. And then he will use you to do it. And that will be uncomfortable. Being a tool in the hands of God. Have you ever thought about whether it's comfortable being a screwdriver? Do you want to be a screwdriver? Shoved in and then twisted against the force of the wood and the friction, the screw trying to go in. You don't want to be a screwdriver, right? Because it's going to be a lot of tension and you're afraid that maybe you'll break under it. But what does, what does the psalmist do? He goes to God and he says, the unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. Isn't that what we want? We want that. We want, we want the wicked. We want him to be caught in his own trap. We want him to be silenced. We want his lies to burn with him. We want all of the world to be free from his oppression. And so we turn to the government. No, we don't turn to the government. And so we make sure we vote in every election. No, that's not going to solve the problem. Yeah, go ahead. Try to get the government to do good things. Vote. I'm all for it. Turn to God for help. Look to him to save the orphan, the afflicted. And then, you will be asking him to break the arm of the wicked. to break their power, to keep them from having the ability to harm again, right? What do you want to happen to that guy who is traveling around the world, his important jobs, helping people? You want him to never be able to work with people who are in need. Again, that's what you want. That's your prayer. Break his arm. Take away the power. 
The Lord is king forever and ever. He has heard the desire of the humble. He will strengthen their heart. He will incline his ear. He will vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. We look forward to that day. Let's pray.